Hello and welcome back to Inside the Yale Admissions Office. My name is Mark and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer. I'm Hannah. I am also a Yale Admissions Officer. And today we are doing another mailbag episode where we're going to answer some questions that we've gotten to our email address. If you're a regular listener, you've probably heard us plug our email address, yaleadmissionspodcast at gmail.com, where we welcome your suggestions for future episodes. We get a lot of emails. We do read them, even if we don't respond to them all. Today, we wanted to tackle a few interesting emails that have come in. Most of these are episode suggestions that we really do want to talk about, but we're not sure we have enough material for a full episode for each one. Yeah, and it's really fantastic that people are emailing us. Thank you to everyone who has sent us um, questions. The questions are a great way for us to hear from you all about what you've liked and also what you'd like to cover. So thanks. Yeah. A disclaimer, though, if you have an urgent question about the application process or your specific application, emailing yaleadmissionspodcast at gmail.com is the absolute slowest way to get an answer. (laughs) So we encourage you to submit questions to admissions.yale.edu slash questions or call our office. And questions submitted on that website are looked at daily. But if you have a general question or episode idea, keep them coming to us. I am also really excited because we have another admissions officer making her podcast debut today. Welcome to the podcast, Deb. Well, thank you, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, let's dive into some of these excellent questions that our listeners submitted. And uh, like we did last time when Reed joined us on our mailbag round one episode, Hannah, you can read us the questions and then Deb and I will try our best to, to give the answers. All righty. Okay. Question number one. I wanted to know if you could please release a new episode covering where seniors should be in the college application process. More specifically, I myself have been struggling with figuring out the right balance and order of priorities between college-related tasks and schoolwork. I'm currently taking a rigorous course load which requires a lot of my time, but I also want to ensure that my college app accurately reflects me as a student. Any advice? Well, yes. Uh, Hopefully by the time that you've started your senior year, there are a lot of things that are really in place and that you are working on in terms of maybe a rough draft or better than rough draft of your essay, Mm -hmm. that you've thought about your extracurricular activities and maybe made a list out so that it's super easy to add that or migrate that to an application platform that you've sort of thought about your list. You're not adding, hopefully not adding many schools as a senior, that you've done the research, you've done the self-reflection, and you feel like this extracurricular activity that's called applying to college Mm -hmm. is something that you can handle on top of everything else. Mm. Your senior year should mostly be about being a senior, not about Mm -hmm. applying to colleges. Um, You know, we don't want to minimize the tasks that's associated with putting together the application, but it shouldn't be the sort of all-encompassing thing, either in terms of just the physical time that you're spending with it or just the mental energy that you're putting towards it. I like to tell folks, you know, by the time you've reached your senior year, even if you haven't opened up your college application yet, most of the work is already done, right? right? Your classes are already been chosen and you've completed them. Their grades are your grades. You have no control over what your teachers are going to write. You've probably hopefully already, you know, thought about who's going to write those. Your activities are them. Task of putting together your application is really just kind of the the end piece of what's been a, a three plus year process of going through high school. So mm-hmm. senior year, um, 
budget some time for this, but please, please, please don't miss out on the special time that you'll have as a senior in high school and try to do some things that just have nothing to do with college whatsoever. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I think it's really good advice to just spend a little bit of time consistently until you hit that submit button on kind of focusing on your application. You don't have to spend several hours, but if you sort of manage that time, then the time itself doesn't get overwhelming to you. And just budgeting time to, hey, maybe listen to a podcast like this one uh, might just help give you some headspace that's in a sort of more comfortable, non-task oriented sort of environment where you can just start to think creatively about what you'd want to put in your application. Yeah. And we know it's stressful, but uh, consider this practice for college, because if you're coming to college at a place like Yale, it's going to be a four year test of your time management skills. Mm -hmm. You can do it. You You can can do do it. it. All right. Could you maybe talk about how twins are looked at in the application process at Yale? I'm a rising senior and a twin, and I've heard mixed ideas from other schools. Either we admit both or neither because we don't want to separate them or we consider twins separately. I'm curious about what Yale does. Each twin is a unique individual. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we're going to review them in the application process. And so admissions committees at Yale look at each student individually and what they bring. So we will not think of them as a package deal. I think it's helpful to remember, we see a lot of applications every single year. So we've seen it all. (laughs) We've seen multiples beyond twins. We've seen triplets, we've seen quadruplets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we have also seen among multiples, different attitudes towards college, right? Some students sort of have the attitude of, well, I would definitely want to go with my my twin or my triplet. Others say, actually, that's the last thing on my mind. We wouldn't go in with any assumption one way or the other. Don't let the fact that you are a twin change the way you fill out your college application. Well said. Yeah. Or where you apply. Right. right? Yes. right. You yes. still have full flexibility as, as anybody else. And just be confident that we're going to look at you uniquely. All right. Next question. In case you are looking for podcast topics, my friends and I thought you might consider doing one on the honors section of the application. It seems to cause some grief among students and counselors as to what should or should not be listed. I would encourage you to probably not think too hard about this. I think this is a good example of the kind of thing where it's just useful to remember there's a real person on the other end of this, not some sort of computer that's going to assign a particular weight to whatever you write in there. Mm -hmm. I think the most valuable things that show up there are things that are not reiterating other pieces of information. So a good example of this might be um, you can certainly include something like being an AP scholar, right? But I probably already have a sense that you would have qualified for that because I've already seen the AP exam scores that you shared on your application. So that Mm. designation, which is simply just sort of automatically associated with taking a certain number of exams and getting a certain number of score on it, is sort of not really new information. Right. You've certainly not hurt yourself. You've not offended me by including (laughs) that. Um, But did you need to include that? No. Do you need to use all five of the spaces that are on the common application to convey that you are an accomplished and honorable person? No, certainly not. But if you have something particularly that's not represented in some other part of the application, this can be a good place to convey it. Yeah, the vast majority of applicants that we read are not going to have something in this section that actually truly stands out or catches the eye of their admissions officer. We learn a lot more about your achievements from your essays, from what your teachers say about you in their recommendations. So I would not spend too much headspace thinking about what goes in this section. I would agree. I think that this is something that 
is part of the application, provides some context, but it is not the thing that will either admit someone or not admit someone. One final note here, it's absolutely appropriate to use this space to share a school level award. That yeah. you know, That's one of the designations that something is at the school. It might be that your school offered an award for something that's you know pretty specific to that community. Go ahead and include it there. We are not only looking for Olympic gold medals or, you know, <laughs> <Right>. Academy Awards. <laughs> if you earned an award that was something meaningful in your school, go ahead and include it here. All right. Do you have any advice for homeschooled students applying to Yale? What do you consider when reviewing homeschooled applicants? I don't think that we consider anything specifically different. I think that's mm. the thing that people have to remember mm -hmm. is a homeschooler will have a transcript, will have recommendations, will fill out an application, will have a school counselor that might be the parent um, that will fill out that particular recommendation. But the requirements for homeschoolers are the exact same things that we require of students who've attended a bricks and mortar school. So I think those are the things to kind of keep in mind. And all of those things in a whole person review process matter to us. And I think, as you've heard us say a lot about a, lots of different things, we don't assume that all homeschool students look alike. We know that there's a wide variety of sort of approaches to secondary education that falls under the larger umbrella of homeschool. This could be you working primarily one-on-one -on -one with just an individual or several individuals locally. It could mean that you're doing a lot of online courses that are involving folks all around the world. Mm. It might involve actually a lot of dual enrollment courses at a community college. We We've seen it all and I think my advice is just to ensure that if you are a homeschool student meaning that you are not applying kind of from a traditional brick-and-mortar school use the space in the application to give us as much kind of insight about what your educational journey has looked like and some of the the thinking behind it as well mm -hmm. I think the other piece of advice is that it is important to include insights from folks who are not family members. And so you do want to ensure that you have what is a recommendation from folks who ideally worked with you in an academic setting, but if you've not had teachers in an academic setting who aren't family members, even someone from an extracurricular organization, those insights can be particularly valuable. Another question we have is how strict are the guidelines when choosing teachers for letters of recommendation? While it's recommended to have two teachers in core subjects, would it be allowed to ask teachers who have taught you in an elective class or two teachers from the same subject if you feel like those teachers could speak the most about your personal growth and character? I think the key piece to choosing teachers to write on your behalf is that first they should be academic in nature. So that could be an elective course or it could be a required course. It will be up to you. But in, think of the traditional English, math, science, history, and language. Those should be in the areas that you would have people write on your behalf. If you feel that two people from the same area can write on your behalf, sure, great, that's mm -hmm. fine. I think sometimes it's I find personally it's a little helpful to have different perspectives because you are maybe possibly a different student in a math course versus a history course, mm. but there's not a specific recipe that we're looking for. I think people typically overthink this. They overthink the process of selecting their teachers around areas like 
the subject that they're teaching. And that's mm. really much less important to us than the kinds of insights that they're able to provide about you. But it's important that those be academic insights. Mm. We can also get some great character insights and group dynamic insights, but these have to give us some sense of how you've grappled with a particular topic and shown your interest and enthusiasm for that work. If you've had a valuable relationship with another person for another type of class. It's not an academic class. Someone can submit an uh, supplemental letter of recommendation. Just speaking from experience, those rarely move the needle much right. for us. So we're going to encourage you to focus on finding those two academic teachers who, who really know you well. But if you feel like, hey, I've also got this other dimension and this other person wants to write for me and their insights would be quite different, go ahead and ask them to include it as a supplemental letter. All right. Are there any cases where sending supplemental materials hurts your application? For example, if you have a piece that you're really proud of, but it isn't something that's won a ton of awards, should you send it? So this is a great question. We did a whole episode about supplementary materials with John a little mm -hmm. while back. So I'd recommend that you take a listen to that to get a sense of the sort of level that our most accomplished musicians and artists are typically at. I think it can be tempting to just sort of imagine, well, I can just add more to my application and hey, even if it doesn't get a good review, I'll go ahead and send it. There's some truth to that. It's pretty unlikely that a weak review would truly hurt an application, but I can sort of imagine a situation where it, it might pull the rug out from under a student's application. And I can sort of think about it this way. If you are presenting yourself in the application, let's say as someone who's really excited about music and your application is filled with musical activities and you're also presenting yourself as someone who really wants to focus on music in college. If you were to submit a music supplement and that review were to come back, you know, pretty mediocre, mm. we would have a hard time kind of building a case around that student because they're making so clear music is my thing and music's what I want to do. I think that same student, if they were saying, hey, I like your school and I could major in just about any particular area and I'm excited about that and I want to do music, I think their enthusiasm and their accomplishments would come through loud and clear. We wouldn't need or expect any sort of supplement and essentially because we aren't admitting students to a particular major, they might be better off applying without a supplement. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. But I also think that if a student applies who's interested in studying art uh, and it is all throughout the application that it is helpful if they do submit yes. art because our art faculty are really good at identifying intellectual talent in that particular area whereas i might think a picture's really pretty <laughs> and i yeah. might really think wow yeah i'd love that person to paint for me or to sketch for me that isn't the intent of our faculty when they're reviewing i think it's a great point it's not just sort of evaluating your accomplishment, our faculty are also really kind of actively thinking about uh, who do they want to work with and who do they sort of see has the potential for growth with them. If that's something that you feel like you're ready for, including a supplement could be a great addition to your application. Yeah, and on the other hand, if you are not interested in continuing to pursue this in college at the college level with our Yale professors, then there's no need to submit a supplement. Right, absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah, we don't don't assume that just because your activities list includes music, dance, art, 
etc., that you are expected to submit a supplement. And right. as former podcasts have alluded to, more is not always better. Right. Yes. All right. We have one last question for our mailbag today. Could you talk about tips and information for second or third time applicants? I think if you do choose to apply again, we're going to be looking for different and new information that Mm -hmm. wasn't there the first time. And so if it's exactly the same thing as you presented the first time through, that's not going to give us the kind of information that we seek. Yeah, I think we should probably just say it is very rare that a second or third time applicant will get admitted. Right. Don't sort of think about it as if I had a 5% chance first time, I'm going to increase my odds by taking another 5% chance. It's not a lottery ticket. Same sort of dynamics will be in play. Yeah, the most common reapplication scenario that might lead to an acceptance is if you applied as a first year student, you were denied, and then later you apply as a transfer applicant. And that's because that student has had some college experience. Their application is going to look quite different than it did when they applied as a high school senior. What we don't recommend is applying as a high school senior, not getting in, and then taking a gap year Mm -hmm. to reapply again as a first year student. Yeah, and on that note, I know that we often get questions from folks who've been denied who say like a week later, okay, I'm planning to reapply again. Mm. Should I do this, that, or the other? And my answer is always, you really shouldn't make any big life decision that's kind of predicated on changing your odds of admission to Yale. That it's simply so highly selective, it just doesn't make sense to be sort of uprooting yourself or potentially, as you were saying, kind of losing a year of your life where you could be doing right. something else just because you think it might sort of shift the odds one way or another. Our advice is really going to be you are going to have great options for all kinds of things. Do what you want to do. And when the time comes and the deadline comes around again, if you really feel that you want to you know, give it another shot, go for it. But don't turn your life upside down in the meantime. Well, that's it for now. Keep those questions coming. Remember, always head to admissions.yale.edu slash questions if you have a specific or urgent question about your application. Deb, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you. It was really fun. Excellent podcast debut. We will have have you back soon. Yes. Great. Thanks, as always, to Reed for lending us his office. Thanks also to former admissions officer Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. You should check him out at andrewbrickjohnson.com. If you have comments or an idea for an episode, drop us a line at yaleadmissionspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are ours and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University. Thanks for listening.